Well, then let's get to the Dave Tuffy Knight Award for Coach of the Year. And I'll give you a hint. It didn't go to Warren Craney. Hello and welcome to At The 55, your home for OUA football. We are on the precipice of the Yates Cup. It is championship season, ladies and gentlemen. I am joined, of course, by Nate Hobbs and Tom Sterling to set up this rematch of 2021. The rematch from the beautiful blackout game the Western Mustangs hosted earlier in the season. But before we get there, there are so many things we need to set up. It almost it, it almost demands its own podcast, but we're going to do what we can and sneak all this content in in hopefully less than two hours. Uh, I, I'm just joking. It shouldn't be nearly that long. Where do we start? I think we decide we need to start with the uh, the coaching sh- uh, shift that was uh, that happened today. Well, when you're hearing this, happened yesterday um, at our at the York Lions. Uh, our our beloved Warren Craney has. And Tom, I'm going to pass this to you first because I know you were following the different machinations of it all a bit closer. Has stepped down, has come to a mutual agreement with the York Lions, has been fired. Which of those turns of phrases feels most appropriate for whatever the heck is going on at York? I think the official sign is that Warren Craney stepped down after his son finished his last years of eligibility to step away from the game of football and just gain a little bit more time with his family. Whether or not that was a forced step down is up for debate, but that is the official title that Warren Craney has stepped down of his own volition. He is moving on to whatever else he wants to with his family after his son has finished playing quarterback for these York Lions. Now, this has created a a, a bit of a a to-do on the, in the Twitter sphere of OUA football. And, uh, you know, if you're not in that realm, first of all, good for you for staying off of it. Um, but we'll try and do our best to, I guess, you know, not, not break down every single detail, but very much on our, at the at the 55, uh, Twitter page. It's been a lot of, uh, a lot of conversation. Um, and obviously some of which is somewhat in the realm of speculation. Some involves possible candidates. Nate, what have you been making of the situation? I know, I know you, you know, love to sort of like read between the lines of a lot of these things and infer, you know, what people's meanings are. What, what have you been making this whole situation? Well, I feel like the funny thing that comes to mind for me is this is for those that remember all Canada gridiron esque. Now we all remember that very famous message board from back in the day where we were playing, but um, you know, <laughs> It's a, it's a decent amount of gossip going around right now in terms of, you know, um, the, the mess that was was going on in that program. And obviously, you know, this this was going back to last offseason. And, and, you know, if you want to go back a better part of a decade. But, um, yeah, a lot of interesting stuff going on on Twitter, you know, and, you know, mentioning the All-Canada Grand, I definitely don't want this podcast to turn into it. So I'm going to avoid that stuff. But, uh <laughs> You know, I'm interested to see where, where your goes and, and if we're entering uh, the Owen Webb era, let's say, for example, you know. Well, I mean, we'll see who uh, takes the mantle at QB with uh, and a head coach with obviously both crannies now out of the York Lion program. And I think we want to spend more of our time here, less talking about the uh, the drama of it all, the tea that's being spilled. Um, you know, I, I our good friend Tom's uh, colleague in the booth for the last two regular season Laurie games, Jack Moore, uh, tweeted out um, that from Craney's tenure 
from 2010 to 2022 with the York Lions, compiled a record of 14 and 80. We'll talk more about that on another episode. I mean, that alone. I mean, what, what what do you make of that? But let's just, I guess, briefly to not take up too much of our Yates Cup preview pod talking about the York Lions. Um, Tom, I'll start with you. Um, what do you think is the best move forward for the team, given all the things that have been going on there recently? I mean, you know, within Craney's era recently, obviously, with the Hunchak brothers in there, uh, we talk so often about how many guys they get uh, they send off to the different regional combine, CFL combine, and then eventually into the pros as well. Talent does fall there. Um, it, it, what do you think is the best practice, whether it's a specific name or just the type of person that would help move this team into a better direction? So I think when you start talking about a team like these York Lions and how they've been for the past two decades, really, and just the bottom of the OUA and really struggling to do a lot of things successfully or at least consistently, the person that you need to bring in needs to be somebody who is known by the league and who has a track record of having players believe in him. This needs to be somebody who recognizes that a win for these York Lions does not equate to next year their Yates Cup contenders. These York Lions need to start changing the culture. For any of you who follow us on Twitter at the 55 podcast, uh, you can see all of the mentions that we have and the people who have a lot of things to say. And uh, there's a lot of York supporters or at the very least OUA fans who are very unhappy with how York has been going. And you can read that for yourself if that's something that you're interested in. But at the very least, there's people who care about the program. There's enough, I think, backing behind the York Lions football program that you could turn that into something successful. The, the stadium is pretty much brand new. Uh, they have a, an opportunity to hire on a new athletic director who, depending on if that's the right person as well, might be able to give this uh, club a bit of a boost what they need. And if you get in a reputable person, then I think you can really change some things around. Uh, we've had a lot of buzzings and a few people have kind of come forward and, and and things from the folks that we have spoken to. And one of the names that keeps coming up to the top of the list is Daryl Adams, defensive coordinator from the Waterloo Warriors. Now, Adams is a guy who's been at Waterloo for a number of years. He's been around the game for many, many years. People know who he is. They trust him. He obviously has backing from his players that he currently recruits. I think somebody like him would be a, a great potential hire for that because he would change the culture first and foremost and then focus on the winning because that will always follow. Um, there's obviously a lots of speculation. There's a lot of really great coaches and things, but somebody that I am actually interested in, and I don't have any backing to this whatsoever, it's just a name that I like to throw out there, is Donovan Carter, special teams coordinator from the University of Guelph Griffins. He was previously a head coach at the, with the Windsor Lancers. He knows the game. Like I said, I can tell you from being at that Guelph team in 2019, the kids love this man. He can connect with players. He knows how to motivate them. I think he really has the gift to be a head coach, whether or not he wants to go for this job or if he wants, if he's happy where he is at Guelph, that's another question. Like I said, nothing backing this whatsoever, but at the very least two folks that I wanted to put forward as potential candidates. And I'm sure there's a list of other people who would be willing to take on this challenge. Yeah. I think you bring up a great point just from the jump of it's gotta be someone that is, it has the wherewithal to recognize that this is a complete overhaul project and that 
hey, if you win one game, it's like that's, you know, the minorest of steps in the right direction, but that it's an accumulation of other small things like the just the constant drama we we hear things like that let's put that to bed for once let's have a week where we don't have whether there are positive stories on the field about wins we don't have negative stories of you know things about whatever i can't recount all the different things that we heard this year nate you know for so many people uh, an opportunity at a head coaching um for a head coaching opportunity to come uh, open like this um you know it's 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 such a tight knit circle of coaches and seems to be like a bit of a um a cycle of we see the same names over and over again and for the number of coordinators who've been around the block and things like that people have had shots at head coaches and maybe had to step down into coordinator positions again and all across the board is is this opening an open, you know, I, how do I want to say this? I guess, does the funk, if you will, that surrounds the York Lions make this so that if you are just have been one of those people, and we know so many of these names, and Tom obviously uh, named uh, two great uh, individuals uh, it, it just a moment ago, but if you are one of those people that has just been chomping at the bit to get a head coaching shot, is there part of you that for a young coordinator, let's say, looking for that opportunity that this still has that, you know what, maybe this isn't the best thing for me to be doing, or do you think it, so what's your take on that? Uh, I think that also has a lot to do with the situation you're in too, right? Like, like come to think of like a, you know, someone like a Steve Snyder, for example, you know, any, any coordinator at kind of these top programs, I don't think that this will be a job that, that people like that will really be, be clamoring for, but um, it's definitely, definitely, you know, an opportunity for someone in a different position that, you know, wants to take that step up and, you know, obviously there's a couple things going for it. You know, obviously Tom mentioned extensively kind of the situation where the program's at, and there's like, there is, there are things there. It's a place that can be marketable um, for facilities and whatnot. And, and you know, you have the city of Toronto to market as well. We all know York's not, not really like downtown or anything like that, but a kid from out West, you know, he doesn't know the difference. We saw they're able to get the Alberta five um, back in the day. And, you know, I don't know who this new AD is going to be, but in the past there has been, uh, you know, the the uh, effect of, of job security, uh, of course. So, you know, you you should at least get some time to be able to build things and get things in place and get things going, um, because I think it just comes down to, you know, this is no like this isn't like a school that like, you know, has any less resources than anyone or like there's nothing looking at this at like complete face value. If you just put a different logo on it you know, for example, then you wouldn't say that this program is where it should be, but kind of having that York, you know, with it, 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 it makes a big deal. So a brand's going to be a big part going forward as well. But, um, you know, again, it's an opportunity for someone who's a hungry person and just knows how to just run an organization or a program effectively that, you know, but it's going to be a very, a very tall task for sure. And one that will take, you know, several years before we really see any kind of results. Yeah, and obviously, and that that AD piece that both you obviously brought up is huge. Someone who's going to give whoever they bring in the trust to, in the same way that Tommy recognized that whoever the head coach is recognized that like it's 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 a it's a long road to, road to hoe. And same with the AD recognized that like yeah, you might you might not make the playoffs for four years, let's say, but it's you need to have that sort of start building that institutional stability with a common voice, and if that's the type of person that can rally the players and build that trust and everything like that and recognize that the program's going in the right direction even if it's not reflected in wins and losses or pardon me in wins let's say that it's still 
in the right direction and not having that very surface level analysis of it. Um, last thing I'll say before. Oh, sorry, Tom. Did you want to? Yeah, I was just um, something like this really reminds me of, you know, the Windsor situation. You see Coach Cercelli yeah. and the, the, everything that he's been able to do there and bringing in the right people, um, you know, surrounding the kids with people that you trust, people that are going to improve the program. And in Coach Cercelli's case, it's family. And, you know, we just saw um, one of the Cercelli's. I don't know the relation for sure. I think it's his father, but Mike Cercelli was the volunteer coach of the year this year. So they're obviously bringing in people who want to be around the game, who want to, to coach and want to support these players as much as possible. And before that, he was the offensive line coach at Western. So maybe not a coordinator spot where this is, like Nate said, a, a really, you know, sexy position at the very least. But somebody like Coach Cercelli, who was at Western, who understands what it's like to win and what a winning program looks like and feels like, bringing something like that to Windsor and improving them and getting them into the playoffs this year. So it's possible. Yeah. Well, tying a lot of these things together, and I'll I'll say this as a sort of last piece before we move on about someone who, I mean, Nate brought up Steve Snyder's name and talking about family, talking about someone with Western football ties. I got to throw in my buddy Matt Snyder's name into the mix. He's been coaching with the London Bee Feeders right for uh, the last little bit. But, uh, you know, talking about just people who know no, no football. He's a guy that, uh, I mean, I'm obviously biased in, in knowing Matt well and having coached with him a bit, but who I'd love to see get an opportunity at that level. Let's move. You mentioned, obviously, with Mike Cercelli and the awards. Let's take that opportunity to jump into some of the awards. Well, all the awards that have been given out at the OUA level. And uh, the list I have currently in front of me is the uh, OUA all rookie. So we'll start there. I'll read off the list and then we can just make a few comments on sort of who jumps out um, and what we think about this list in general. I think there's obviously uh, there's one piece that I know we'll, we'll definitely have to get into that a lot of people will be perhaps uh, mystified on hearing this list. Um, but so we start with uh, Noah Fay, Carlton Ravens, Tom's boy Isaiah Smith for the Guelph Griffins, Juwan Smith for McMaster, Charles Aslan for Ottawa, Tyler Mullen for Queens, Sam Hankey for Toronto. Diego Arenas for Waterloo, Jordan Balin for Western, Darian Bakakaden for Wilfred Laurier, Brady Litster for Windsor, and Melkis Alunga for the York Lions. Three kickers on this list, which I find interesting, and Litster, Hanky, and Mullen. Nate, uh, do you want to go with the apparent elephant in the room, if you will, um, in looking at this list, or is there a different angle um, that you want to approach in looking at uh, some of these names on this list? We're talking about Joy Zorn, right? We're talking about Jay Z, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, of course, we're talking about Jay Z. I mean, hey, yeah, Br- I mean, Brady Lister had a great year kicking, but I mean, you know, uh, yeah, sorry, yeah, yeah. I mean, a name kind of we were all expecting to be there, and and I mean, the rookie of the year conversation as well. But I mean, again, and this is something that when you have a guy coming from the states, you don't necessarily know all the intricate ins and out. He hasn't been through the Ontario football system; it's a bit hard to get information. But just turned out to be an older guy, right? Twenty two years old, and. You know, I don't know if he, he had spent some time in a program in the States or something like that. I would imagine that, you know, very well could be the case. And that would make a lot of sense. So no all rookie for him. But in terms of, you know, first time performers in the league, definitely, you know, was the best this year. And a lot of solid guys on this list and, and look forward to, you know, seeing how they continue the rest of their careers. Tom, obviously, and, and Nate highlighted no Joey Zorn on the list, um, but your guy Isaiah Smith making the cut for the Guelph Griffins. What do you make of this list? 
So first and foremost, I think it's really unfortunate that Joey Zorn wasn't able to qualify for this at the very least. I understand the the logistics of it. He is an older guy. And I do wonder if that means that it'll cut into his eligibility. Like if he's technically in year two or year three because he's 21 or 22 years old. Uh, but that'll be something that we can kind of look into at a later date. Um, but while I am disappointed on, on that front, I don't want to take anything away from Isaiah Smith. I think uh, the kid was fantastic. He was quite honestly one of the few bright spots for these Guelph Griffins these past year and seeing him kind of come off. And interestingly enough, his real debut game was against these Windsor Lancers against Joey Zorn. And he kind of showcased very similar aspects where he has the ability to take hits, bounce off of tacklers, fight for extra yardage. And um, he's certainly going to be a focal point of that Griffin offense going forward. And, uh, you know, congratulations to him. Yeah, and you know what? And, and yeah, the Joey Zorn thing. The thing is with Joey, I mean, obviously it's nice to get the the recognition, but I mean, and we'll get into the actual All-Stars uh, very shortly. He, he could have got himself on that list. Spoiler alert, if you haven't seen it, he did not win a first or second OUA All-Star award at the running back position. But, you know, we talked so often throughout the year about the the turning of the guard at quarterback from that last generation of, you know, Chris Merchant, Trey Ford, now uh, Clay Sakara, seeing Taryn DeYoung, um, you know, who else are we talking about seeing? Um, obviously, Andreas Duick, um, who actually got to see last week coming out to the uh, London semifinals. Uh, good to see Dewey out, uh, out and about helping them recruit. But then seeing all these great quarterbacks coming in to sort of fill the void, mentioning Joey Zorn, mentioning... Um, Isaiah Smith, but also seeing a young guy in Melchus Alunga at York who had a really nice year as well. So, and and I think he's more of a receiver body, but Charles Aslan had a really nice year returning for Ottawa at times. Um, so really nice to see, um, you know, a lot of these young players that had big impacts. We're talking about guys like Tyler Mullen, Sam Hankey, Brady Lister. So really nice to see, um, once again, given how many just outstanding, like, like Hall of Fame type names that, you know, we've seen, uh, age out or or um, get drafted in the CFL recently that you know the the coffers are being refilled with some outstanding talent let's move over to the OEA all-star list I'll, I'll I'll read them off uh, start to finish and then perhaps as I'm reading it we'll just go with like one or two names that it, it surprises you or a name that I didn't read out that surprises you for not being there we'll kind of go that way so let's start with the first team QB Evan Hillock, running backs, Keon Edwards, J.P. Simonkinda, receivers, we have Savon Magne-Jones, uh, I'll say the teams, I guess, in case you're unfamiliar, um, from Western, Ethan Jordan from Laurier, Richard Burton from Queens, and then Sean Janusis from Guelph. The offensive line, we have Elliot Beamer at center from Western, tackles Zach Fry from Western, and Jazz Kara uh, from Queens, and the guards, Philip Grahovic from Western, and Evan Florin from Queens. The defensive line, we have defensive tackles, Darian Newell from Queens, and Malcolm Hines from Western, DNs, Silas Hubert at Queens, and Scott Murray from Guelph. Linebackers, James Peter from Ottawa, Ifi Anyamena from Laurier and the, the Sam Backer position, Emmanuel Abogi Gian from Ottawa as well. In the defensive secondary, Daniel Valente Jr. at free safety, Ashton Miller Melanson at halfback for, from Queens, Rob Panabaker from Western at the other halfback position, and the corners, Simran Harrison Bagiogo from Guelph and Kevin Victome at Ottawa. On the special team side of things, Dawson Hodge from Laurier getting the punting note, and then Tyler Mullen, who we just mentioned, getting the kicking um, uh, award from Queens. And then at the returner position, Alfred Olay from York, and the rush position um, going to Jack Hinsberger at Waterloo. 
I'll fire through the second team super quick. Uh, at QB, Andreas Duick from Mac. Running backs, we have Quentin Scott from Laurier and Edward Wanati from Western. The receiving core, Kasim Ferdinand from Carlton, Daniel Oladejo from Ottawa, Gordon Lamb from Waterloo, and Raiden Thorne from Laurier. The offensive line is Ryan Berta from Queens at center. Tackles, Eric Anderson from Western and Cooper Hamilton from Laurier. And the guards, Zach Benson from Windsor and Tristan Fortin from Ottawa. On the D-line, we have Mufta Agali from Windsor and Mitch Price from Mac in the middle. And at the D-end positions, we have Bruce Moss from Western and Jason Jean-Vierre Messier from York. At linebacker, we have Riley McLeod from Western and Matt Dean from York in the Sam position. Jordan Veltri from Laurier in the secondary. Also from Laurier at free safety, we have Nico McCarthy and Patrick Burke Jr. at halfback. The other halfback position is filled by Eric Cumberbatch from Ottawa. And then your corners are Demetrius Masuka from Mac and Richard Adubufor from Western. The punter is Dante Master Giuseppe from U of T. The kicker is Campbell Fair. The return is Lucas Stoikos from U of T and the rush is Raheem Balogun Jr. from Queens. That was a whole lot of words to say in a very short time. Uh, Nate, I see you just perusing through this list with the like most just deep intent in your eyes. I got to just pipe down for a second, have a sip of water. Who's a name on here that perhaps surprises you or who's a name not on here that surprises you? Well, it's striking. I think we've already seen it today. Um, but James Basiliga from Waterloo. <clears throat> I mean, you just peruse. I mean, it's easy to compare this stats with simply, sorry, this list with the stats leaders. And, you know, he's a guy who's second in receiving yards per game um, and third in receiving touchdowns. And, you know, to not even be second team in the OUA is pretty, pretty crazy. And I'm, it's hard for me to say that he's more deserving than, than someone else on this list because I think, you know, all these receivers have, have had stellar years, but, um, you know, a guy that a lot of people maybe would have thought would have been a first team guy even um, and didn't get in overall. And, you know, it's not like quarterback where there's only two spots, you know, there are eight spots for receivers. And to think that there were eight guys better than him, you know, that's what I guess the, the coaches decided. Um, but, you know, just hearing that on its face is kind of hard to believe for me. Um, and just, you know, another guy I'm going to I'm going to shout out that, you know, I would have loved to see him get an all star nod in his career is, is Adam Williams, you know, and, uh, you know, running back such a such a stack position. I mean, you know, you had the two guys from Western there who are kind of kind of hard to ignore. But even, you know, you go through that queen stable of backs, they don't get a nod in there. You know what I mean? So a lot of good backs in this league. You know, Adam Williams, a guy who's had a great career, and, you know, it would have been nice to see him kind of get in there, especially with the success that the Toronto team had this year. But you could say the same thing about Joey Zorn and that as well. So, um, like always, guys are going to be disappointed. But, you know, overall, this is this is what the coaches vote on. They watch more tape that, than anyone else does. You know what I mean? So, at the end of the day, I, I have to respect all the decisions made. Yeah, we're almost getting to a point perhaps where the talent is so deep that we could probably legitimately just have a third team of all-stars and it would still be an unreal list of names. Tom, what stands out to you about this list? Yeah, I think in an earlier podcast, I think it was you, Zach, who kind of pointed it out that this is not necessarily the, the year of the standout studs, but more so the year of the team units. Like the offenses and the defenses as a whole have been phenomenal, but there's been very few players who have really like stuck out from that. And it's not because the players aren't good. It's because everybody else around them is good. I think that we've had, you know, such great outstanding people that sometimes it can be a little hard like this, but yeah, I 
want to double down on James Basiliga. I think he's a he's obviously a, a absolute stud of a receiver. I think he definitely should have been on this list. Um, somebody that I was a little interested in, and maybe they don't have the stats to kind of back this up, but was Shaheem Charles Brown. Um, he, you know, obviously has that big game against Mac, four sacks, sets the Carlton record, the single game record. And then, you know, if you're just looking at the stats, kind of falls off, doesn't really do much, gets another two and a half, but it's still leading the OUA. But anybody who watched the games that he played in, they have to, every single offense now has to account for him. He's either being double teamed, they're doing quick throws, or they're running almost every play away from him. Or if it's to him, there's three guys on him. So he changed the way that offenses had to go against Carlton. And that needs to be, I feel like that needs to be said. So I think Shaheen Charles Brown should at the very least have been, you know, a second teamer or something along those lines. But um, I was very surprised to not see him on the list. You, you, you took the words out of my mouth. I thought Shaheen was a massive snub on this list because one, you know, you mentioned obviously the the the, the record breaking start to the season, and obviously maybe that inflates the total, so to speak, that it didn't necessarily have the consistency. A few more follow games uh, here and there. But we talk so often about how teams are able to run on the uh, Carlton Ravens in part because of them playing that three, uh, that, that 34 front, which then, Tom, as you know, um, as well as anyone, as far as the ability to perhaps, you mentioned, send a double team at a guy, when you have fewer offensive linemen occupied by down linemen, that allows for more, say, gap slides where you can send two guys his way. Yes, you're eyeballing a linebacker, protecting another gap that might be vacant. But when you only have three guys on the line, that makes it way easier to be able to then send extra attention the way of a Shaheem Charles Brown. So I thought that was odd. You know, I will say, though, I because I don't want to play. I, I, I belly ache so much when people complain about our lists and not willing to sort of say who's going to, you know, if well, if Shaheem Charles Brown's going to make the list, then that must mean that someone shouldn't be on the list. And I mean... At that DN position, of course, we're looking at Bruce Moss or Jason Javier Messier. It would be Messier out of the two of them because Moss was an absolute beast on that Western D-line. Nate, you were highlighting just how ferocious they were playing in that semifinal against the Golden Hawks. Um, So, you know, I don't know. It's... But at the same time, we do talk about one of the redeeming things of that York team was how they'd get pressure. Um, I do think Matt Dean on the second team at Sam or probably at linebacker from York is a very valid pick for them. Um, but I guess if I'm going to do what I've been, you know, screaming from the rooftops for the people in our mentions to actually be doing. Yeah, I'm saying let's get Shaheem in there and then we're going to take out Messier. Uh, but that's not a shot at him. That's just. Once again, um, I don't think it's undue to say that one player performed better than the other. Um, so let's move now to the uh, to the major award winners, um, and we'll start right at the top with the uh, the most valuable player. And the name came up in our conversation when we had Dakota on talking about sort of the breakdown of the whole year, um, but it went away from where we ultimately were suspecting it was. If you have yet to hear the Larry Haler Most Valuable Player um, of the Year uh, award goes to Keon Edwards of the Western Mustangs. Nate, I think it was you who kind of mentioned that, I mean... It, Oh, I don't know why you're laughing. I've made the comment yet. You just assume I'm going to take a shot at you here. But that going back to last year, 
when Trey Ford ended up going on his Heck Crichton uh, run, that Keon had a very compelling case to perhaps be the MVP that year, um, along with uh, Rasheed Tucker as well from Queens. Um, And I... I don't want to put you in a spot by framing it like this, but just because we know there is politicking in in all these awards, um, the team obviously had such immense success this year. Do you feel there's any bit of that? Hey, we, he didn't get it last year. Like the team was so freaking good. His numbers are out of this world. We can't not give it to him again this year. Well, well, the funny thing is, is, is you know, you look at the definition, most valuable player. Here we go. Yeah. Um, and, uh, <laughs> you know, on its face, you know, he's not the most valuable player in the league. And has, it literally has nothing to do with him, but it just has to do with the team he's on, obviously. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, you know, you have you have other running backs and stuff like that that we've seen produce. But in terms of, you know, who has more value to their team, I think there are guys that that make bigger impacts, let's say, or or may have, you know, put the teams on their back a bit more, let's say, in terms of, talking about strictly value, but he's the best player on the best team. And, you know, nine out of 10 times, that's who's going to be the MVP. You know, last year, I think was a bit of an an anomaly. I think it's funny me kind of, you know, having a bit of a contrarian stance on this this year, whereas last year I called this the, the Trey Ford Legacy Award as well. So I feel like to some extent, you know, I think this is this is well-deserved. And, you know, I'm really happy that Keon gets his flowers you know what I mean? And is well-deserving, but, um, you know, obviously we'll get to it later, but having two Western Mustangs as offense and defense, it just, you know, you know, you know, I, I, you know, and it's not like they are the number one team in the country, but, uh, it's like, you know, the, the NBA MVP, man, I'm, I'm like one of those voters. I have the fatigue, you know, it can't be Giannis every single year, the Joker every single year. I need to switch it up a little bit. You know what I mean? I guess, Trey Four was a bit of an absence from that, but to see two Western guys there is like, nah, you know, I think, you know, Queens being a bit solid team, I think it may have been hard to pick one guy from them for one of those awards. But I think Ottawa, you know, I think you guys share my same feelings there. And we talked about it earlier, but man, for them to not be represented in any of these categories, it it it, it feels it feels a bit a bit wrong to me, to be honest. Just so no one's forgotten, Nate, where did you play football? uh queens <laughs> okay anyways uh tom would the oua benefit from taking uh, a page out of the cfl's book and just saying let's call it the most outstanding player award yeah there's a lot of conversation about that because you know when we first were talking about this even with our special guest dakota vine um he kind of mentioned the fact that it's not always the person who you think or you think might deserve it that might get one of these now I want to clarify this by saying, you know, something similar to what Nate said. Keon Edwards, in my opinion, is the better running back. If I had to pick between JP or Keon, I'm picking Keon for sure. But somebody who had a larger impact on the quality and how good the offense was, I would go with JPC McKenda because you could see every time he goes off, it's almost a guaranteed Ottawa win. And anytime he doesn't, you know, it's not, it certainly is not guaranteed at the very least. So I think Keon Edwards, best player on the best team for sure. Did he have the same level of impact to a team's success? That's up for debate. And I think we, you know, discussed that and kind of went with JP on that regard. So um, 
that's my kind of stance on the OUA MVP. But it was hilarious because even after all of us thought, you know, it was going to be JP or it was going to uh, JP and then James Peters. Then we said, you know what? That's crazy. We can't have the both major award winners coming from the same school. And turns out, yes, she can. <laughs> and we'll get to who that second individual is in just a second. I want it the way you framed it as, you know, because when JP would go off, Ottawa would win. When they didn't, they would struggle. And I guess just the flip side, if you're from the Western side of things, is like, yeah, but Keon always went <laughs> off and we always won. So why are we even having this conversation? Like he... So it, it might just be as simple as that. Once again, why perhaps the idea of most valuable as Nate highlights, we get into a bit of a philosophical conversation of like the true definition of what that means. And and yes, yeah, so many other sports leagues have battled that idea when it comes to, well, what is value? What is it just, you know, how do we really categorize that? Yeah, Nate. And it's, it's, it's hard to say I would change it. You know what I mean? It's not like I'm sitting here saying they they, they got it wrong, man. They got it wrong. Like, no, yeah. like I, I think he is absolutely deserving. And, and you know, it's it's he deserves some kind of accolade that's for sure for the career he's had and i think you know he deserves to be at least you know our head crate nominee for sure yeah big shout out to uh number five from western now let's go to number 23 for those very same western mustangs the uh individual uh, i don't know if i can give myself a little bit of shine here that i picked um <laughs> as the defensive player of the year caveat to change the pace a little bit from the James Peter love that we were given out um, is of course uh, Daniel Valente Jr. picking up the President's Award the outstanding stand-up defensive player of the year um, you know it, once again it's just one of those things where it's like he's at at the free safety position where you are the quarterback of that defense the defense was stellar all year long he's coming off of the venue where he was the defensive player of the game in that effort and it's, I don't know. Do we want to get into the whole thing with him versus Peter again? It seems like we can make the same kind of argument where it's like with, with you know, with Western here where it's like, but that defense was amazing all year long. He's the captain of that defense. He's, he's you know, making sure everyone is where they need to be at all times. Um, Tom, um, which is the bigger surprise? Valente winning this over Peter or Edwards winning it over Simikinda. I think certainly it has to be on the defensive side of things. And I don't want to take anything from Daniel Valente Jr. Because like you said, he is a stud of a player for sure. He was captain of one of the best defenses in the, in the country, quite honestly, with these Western Mustangs. And that's something that needs to be said. But, you know, you look at James Peters leading in so many tackle categories, certainly the captain of their defense as well, and uh, how well Ottawa was able to do and the defensive uh, struggles and, well, non-struggles, I should say, that they had for the majority of the year. It was just very surprising to me because I thought that that was, there was more in my mind a question of, at the OUA MVP spot, whether they were going to go with somebody from Western or somebody from Ottawa. I really thought that the President's Trophy was locked up. But obviously, Daniel Valente Jr. is still very deserving of this. And it's hard when you get into these conversations because it's not like this person is terrible and the other person we thought was is good. They're both unbelievable players. I just thought that once again, when we get back into the like MVP and what does it mean to be the most valuable player and things, when I think of that defensive side of things, I think that James Peter had the biggest impact on a defensive team. Does that make sense? 
No, 100%. I, I mean, I think that's very much the argument Nate was making on the um, most valuable player award, talking about some of these offensive guys. Um, Nate, you were much like uh, all of us, very big on the prospect, James Peter. Um, you know, how did, wh- where did the odds end up? Did you, you know, how, how did your, uh, you know, <laughs> your, your betting turn out from, uh, did you, did you hedge it all with uh, Valente ending up winning it? Uh, I don't think I would have, to be honest, if, 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 you know, those odds were out there, um, there are futures for the Vanier cup and, and, you know, they have been throughout the year, but maybe, maybe we need a cool bet. You need to get on those, uh, for, for next year. But no, I think like in terms of what, I mean, you know, going through all the games, um, on the Saturday and the Sunday morning, I, I think to me, James Peter was just, he's just a chemist guy. You know what I mean? And, and, you know, maybe that has to do with the fact that, there are some things that aren't as good around him. You know, he probably doesn't have the front that Western has surrounding him where, you know, he has to, maybe he has to stand out. You know what I mean? And you look at Western's a team where, you know, to be honest, I turn off most of their games at halftime, you know, <laughs> so maybe I'm not, maybe I'm not paying as much attention as I should to them on defense, but I, I had to look it up for myself. And, and, you know, you say what you want about this, this defense in terms of, of the OUA, but I mean, they're, they're ranked the second, best defense in terms of yards in the country. Um, and that's second to St. Effects and, you know, say what you want about AUS football, but uh, by far the weakest conference. Um, but, you know, se- second best in terms of yards and, and first in terms of passing defense, the best passing defense in the country. Um, so to some extent that absolutely deserves to be recognized. You know, Valente is the guy pulling the strings back there. Um, you know, he's a guy I believe, I even played against. So just to give you an idea of how long this guy's been around and sort of the savvy that he has back there, um, you know, he's definitely a guy that's deserving. I mean, obviously I feel like, you know, again, a situation where we're in a situation like Ottawa, James Peter might stand out more to me if I'm just watching the game, but, you know, at the same time, I, I completely understand why Valente got this word and it's hard to say, like, I can't say that it's wrong or it is, I can't say that or it's not deserving. It's not, wouldn't be true. Wouldn't be honest in me. You know, I, I quickly uh, said what's up to Evan Hillock before the Laurier Western game. I guess that's a bit of a name drop on my part there. And he kind of gave me crap for all the Ottawa love this year. He's never going to talk to me again after this brief segment we just had here. Boys, Let's move to we the love gym. a good story. We love a good story. We root for the narrative, baby. I'm not. Hey. <laughs> That's what it's about, man. That's what it's about. Let's move over to the 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 fellas in the trenches. The JP Metris Award Lyman of the Year, and this is going to Silas Hubert of the Queens. I got to make a correction here. Golden Gales. They have it listed as the Queens Gales. Um, little you know, short change in the the legacy there of uh, Nate's squad. Um, you know, it's a Queens defense that was just pretty darn good all year long start to finish uh i don't have his stats in front of me right now but you know tom just sort of being a former offensive lineman um what'd you make of the year that silas had for queens and and, you know in the context as well of just how formidable that whole defense was as a team you got to scout pretty thoroughly when you called their game um when they came to laurier as well yeah i mean Silas is definitely a guy that you have to account for. There's no like, oh, we'll just play the Queens heads up as they are. We'll just have a generic, like he's definitely a dude for them. He's 
six six listed here, two hundred and sixty pounds. Like he's a big, imposing guy who you immediately notice, and is one of those dudes who maybe doesn't get a ton of like he still has his stats are great. Don't get me wrong, but where once again we don't get it as much in Canada as they see it in the states are the hurries and the hits on quarterbacks and even the pressure that he gets in the backfield outside of that certainly when he played when I got a chance to call the game against Laurier and I got the ch- uh, the chance to see a full game in person and watch it with my eyes which um, naturally being in the trenches I focus more on the trenches you certainly see the impact that he had the explosiveness the ability to make plays by him and what I loved, the, I think, the most about the guy was his motor. I saw him chase down a few plays where he's the defensive end on the left side and runs all the way across the field and maybe isn't in the tackle, but he's right there to make the tackle if the next guy misses. So um, great candidate, As if I'm knowing this right. He's still a young kid, so lots of opportunity to win another one and another one on top of that. So um, congratulations to the kid. He's definitely an explosive player, but certainly I would say – probably a surprise to some people. Nate, is this a surprise to you? I mean, we've seen some incredible down linemen on the defensive side of things from your Golden Gales over the years. I mean, obviously, uh, you know, I feel like Cam Lawson's always the name we gravitate towards uh, on that front of things. Um, what do you make of Silas picking up this award? No, I mean, I'm going to make the same comment about him, similar to kind of James Peter, and that you watch the Queens games and, and you know, 99 being in the backfield is, is almost a constant. You know, I mean, it's unavoidable. You know, they have great guys in that front, Newell and Wishart as well. But, I mean, just in terms of the fact that he's, you know, standing beside the quarterback or on top of the quarterback um, a lot of times, and it's, it's very hard not to notice. And for me, him being a second-year kid, I think, just shows how – how much the other coaches really value him because I think there were other great candidates for this award. You know what I mean? A Scotty Murray from Guelph, Mississauga guy who had a tremendous season, you know, Bruce Moss, you know, another great Western guy that we could have had here. Um, You know, Messier, the guy from York had a tremendous year and those guys are all veteran guys that had tremendous seasons and you're going to go with the second year kid. You know, I just, to me, that means, that in, in the coach's minds, there's no question about it. And to me, that means, you know, to some extent, he, he must have been undisputed because, you know, the fact that the youth comes into play as well and he was still able to kind of beat out those veteran guys who are all very tremendous in their own rights, I think it says a lot. Yeah, I mean, sorry, Tommy, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I was I was just going to say, um, if I'm being honest with, with where I thought it was going to go, I think it was going to go with uh, with Bruce Moss. And um, I thought he was a, a a stud of a defensive end for Western. Once again, one of the best players on, on one of the best teams of the country. Um, tied at the very end of the league with the, the sack total. Now, it was only six and a half, but still, he's tied up there with Shaheem Charles Brown on the year. He finishes with 40 total tackles, six and a half sacks, uh, two forced fumbles, one fumble recovery. Like, the kid was pretty good. So I really thought they were going to give it to him. Not to say, once again, Silas Hubert is deserving of the the position for sure, but I'm just surprising for sure. Also, let's hilarious, move on. Oh, yeah. Hilarious to think that, you know, we were in the same position last year with Queens and Western, these D linemen, uh, with Deontay Knight and, and my boy Fetty, uh, Anthony Federico. And to think that those two programs just cycled in a, a new guy at a completely in the same spot is just ridiculous. 
yeah it's uh it's the never-ending just cycle of queens and uh, and western on the on the offensive defensive line front just dominating um Nora marshall award rookie of the year we already highlighted him in talking about the um the rookie nominees from all the teams but once again it's isaiah smith from the guelph griffins tom's boy obviously as as tom highlighted at that breakout game against joey zorn um is this going to be, Nate, I know you're a hoops guy. Is this going to be one of those things where, you know, a la Ben Simmons winning rookie of the year when he had come in the year before, kind of, and then gets it over Donovan Mitchell where people might look back on this Isaiah Smith thing and be like, it was Joey Soren's first year as well. He was the best true rookie out there. Or are people just going to be like, yeah, Isaiah Smith was rookie of the year, Norm Marshall Award winner. Like that, that doesn't matter. I'm going to say no, and it's simply because 22 is old, man. Like, I, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> look, look, I mean, like, there's no disrespect or anything, but I look at, you know, when I was 22 years old, I, I was entering my last year. You know what I mean? And to think that if I was coming in as my first year, hey, I would have had a pretty damn good rookie year, too. You know what I mean? So. <laughs> That's fair. Uh, Tom, any last words about your, your Burlington boy here? Yeah. Uh, I don't know any, if there's anything more to be said other than he was a dude. He was the focal point or at least one of the focal points for the uh, the offense for the Griffins this year. And uh, if I think he's got the capabilities, as long as he stays healthy, to be a staple of that Griffin team and be one of the next great Griffin running backs that you guys seem to pump out like freaking crazy in the early 2010s. You guys, right? I guess I guess I did play at that school. Let's <laughs> let's go through a few of the other ones a little quicker. Uh, we have the Russ Jackson Award uh, going to Al, uh, or nominee, I should say, going to Alex Chang from the Master Marauders. This is the award, of course, recognizing a player that exemplifies both academic success, football acumen, and then also citizenship and getting involved in the community. Just briefly from the little write up on Alex, uh, a a plus student with a perfect 12.0 GPA, which uh, all three of us can attest, uh, you know, just getting uh, getting the old uh, B, B minus while playing football is a pretty tall task, let alone putting up the numbers that he did. Uh, Chang, I believe is a, a London kid. I'm forgetting which school he went to. Um, moving over, we already mentioned Daryl Adams' name. Tom brought him up in discussing possible candidates for the York position, uh, taking home the inaugural um, Equity, Diversity, and Inclusivity or Inclusion Award, I should say, um, in his role with the Waterloo Warriors at DC, and also another individual we brought up in Mike Cerselli winning the Volunteer Coach of the Year, working with the Windsor Lancers, and then uh, a former uh, a former pivot, perhaps a guy that Nate was studying tape of back when he was a young lad growing up, and Ben Chapdelaine winning the Ken Green Officials Award of Merit. Um, I, I don't mean to. Uh, I don't mean to. Uh, belittles way too strong a word but any of those awards um in going through them so quickly more so because we haven't even got to the Yates Cup yet and obviously we want to highlight the coach of the year award briefly but any comments about any of those individuals quickly before we get to coach of the year and then get into this game Ooh, my comment I I have I'm still on one for coach of the year but okay Tom anything for the, the individuals we just looked at there yeah I mean something like these these categories or these um awards are not something that's normally like contested against like it's not like somebody else had like who's the volunteer coach of the year in their head kind of thing these ones are more so like just congratulations to folks they certainly deserved every one of these not something that should be debated but should more so be celebrated i'll say that 
Beautiful. Well, then let's get to the Dave Tuffy Knight Award for Coach of the Year. And I'll give you a hint. It didn't go to Warren Craney. It went to Greg Marshall of the Western Mustangs as Nate hides his face in his hands. I might have to use that. Should I use that for the open? I should probably. I'm going to use that for the open. I absolutely will be. Um, What can we say about uh, Greg Marshall that has not been said before? Um, What is he? I'm trying to read it quickly in the write up. How many of these has he won? Uh, You know, I. Nate, you had a, you clearly teed up. You had a comment you want to throw out in this one. Are, are you going to make the argument that it should have been your boy uh, Marcel Belfu? I just want to shout him out. You know what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, jeez. I mean, look at Marshall. I mean, he hasn't lost since week one of last year, coming off a Vanya Cup championship. You know, uh, all the pundits, let's say, uh, us maybe maybe not included. We'll see, but. Uh, have him going back there again and, and winning again potentially. So obviously well deserved. But how about those Ottawa Gigi's little turnaround there? That's 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 pretty nice. And you know, obviously I think Windsor, U of T, Laurier. I think those are all you know three teams that kind of had a bit of a you know U of T maybe not like as much of a mini turnaround being in the playoffs last year, but Laurier and Windsor in particular kind of elevating themselves as well. I think just deserve to be mentioned. I don't think you know there's a more deserving candidate, but just worth mentioning. That's all. Yeah, it would almost be interesting if there was like two forms of this award, one of which is just like, okay, clearly like if a coach is leading a team to an 8-0, 7-1 season, just that kind of dominance, yeah, it's hard not to give it to them. But then also more for like, yeah, a, a, a J.P. Cercelli type or a, a, a Greg Blue Marshall at U of T type situation for just like what they've been doing with uh, the program that they have. Um, Tom, what are you thinking about uh, Marshall picking up his eighth coach of the year selection? I think obviously we don't ha- nearly have the same football culture that they do down in the States uh, by any means. It's not like a religion up here by uh, any means. But if there was one coach in the OUA who deserved a life-size statue of themselves outside of the stadium, I think it would have to be Greg Marshall from Western. The guy has just been winning every single year. Like it's no, sure, he may not have won every single Yates Cup, but at some point, whether it was the semifinals or the actual Yates Cup, you had to go through the Western Mustangs to win. And that in itself is unbelievable like you know coach of the year certainly deserves that whatever but like if there's a lifetime achievement kind of thing like the dude kind of deserves that as well um but yeah i think that there is uh at the very least going forward there should be a focus on who is turning programs around who's on the up and up at the very least whether or not you want to I, I like in my opinion it should almost be like a an honorable mention rather than an actual award because you need to take the final step or you need to have the great season or whatever to to in order to win the the coach of the year in my opinion you don't need to win the Yates Cup I think Marcel Belfe would be a, a fantastic candidate for this as well just how well the GGs did but like you know you go to like a four and four season rather than a you know two and six or something like that that's great you're on the right track but you shouldn't win an award for that you know yeah well speaking of greg marshall um coach for the western mustangs maybe you've heard of them they're playing this weekend in a game that our nate hobbs will be attending instead of hanging out with his boys zach and tom in hamilton gosh um 
Well, yes, they're playing Nate's Queen's Golden Gale, so I think it's only fair that he rolls into uh, the Four City with his boys. Hey, to I, check I, I, this I didn't get one to go out. to any Yates mm-hmm. Cups like you guys when I was playing, so uh, can you blame me? Jeez. Wow, the guilt trip. The guilt trip. I'm sorry we played for good teams, mate. Wow. <laughs> Yeah, how good are they this year, huh? Yeah, <laughs> they they stink. They they both kind of stink. Uh, maybe that's stink, gonna be yeah. The, yeah. Wow, maybe this is gonna be the clip. It's just us. Oh, it's a whole variety episode. It's getting late. Um, it's three minutes to eight o'clock. Um, I am an old man, but we have the Queens Golden Gales visiting the Western Mustangs in a rematch of the 2021 Yates Cup, um, which of course um, capped off the the COVID season, the OUA East West. These teams not getting the chance to play in the regular season queens getting to host it as a result of them going undefeated in the weaker eastern conference western of course as it was highlighted dropping that first game to guelph and then not losing another game well they haven't lost another game since we saw this as a pretty tight early matchup a matchup early in the season we'll just quickly maybe recap that one it was final score western 35 queens 11 um you know a game that i think i i still I still kind of put the 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 balance of this game was I forget if it was late second quarter in the third quarter, but Queens gets it deep into Western's territory. I think it was second quarter because it was still pretty close, and they get to out down to a third and short. They go for it, turnover on down, so Western has back against they're back against their goal line. They're faced with a third and short, and they opt to go for it as well. And Queens shuts them down, and then Queens goes again. I think they get a first down. And then they're faced with another third and, and, you know, maybe three or whatever. And they kick the field goal. And I just felt that that was the moment that their soul was slowly leaving their sideline and heading over to the Mustangs sideline. Two last things I'll say really quickly or one last thing, but pertain to two players. When we think about this game is, of course, as far as participation in that game, we had on the Queens side of things, James Keenan, number seven um, at the pivot position for the Golden Gales. And number four, Ethan Martin, um, patrolling the linebacker sort of secondary position, both of whom, well, maybe one of you knows something about either of those guys, but who have been injured for a good portion of the last half of the season. Rematch from last year, uh, Nate, it's your Golden Gales. You are there in attendance at uh, Western Alumni Stadium. What are your opening thoughts on this game? Uh, I mean, you know, it's it's it's... It's always going to be a challenge playing playing Western, especially without, you know, your starting quarterback, your team captain, et cetera, et cetera. But I feel like to some extent, people are probably jinxing this right now and going to make it even worse. But I think people are sleeping on Queens just a little bit, you know, just just a tiny bit. Um, you know, I can only go off. Well, and for I mean, maybe it's for good reason. You know, obviously, the, this Western Mustang team is you know been a been a powerhouse all year but i think you know looking at it and, and you know i'm gonna bring up the line but the line opened at 26 and a half points it's down to 25 and a half points now but to me i i don't think this is a four score contents um as much as western has got so much better as the year went on i think queens has gotten a lot better too in particular this defense i think is at a completely different level than it was at the beginning of the year and kind of seeing how Western faltered a bit early last week, you know, and it makes me think that Queens has a shot, you know what I mean? And, and, you know, for a lot of people, that's all that like they care about or need to hear, because I think for the most part, people are taking this one for granted, but I think 
you know, it's going to be a closer game than people think, you know, obviously I'm going to pick, pick Queens to win. And, and, you know, a large part of that has to do with me being an alumni, but, you know, at the same time, I think, I think that people are sleeping a little bit. And I think that with everything that's happened with Queens over the past year, and remember going in this game last year, no one had any playoff experience, let alone a Yates cup experience. And now to think all these, these guys now have that under their belt and everything like that. I think it does a lot for a program. So I think uh, I think this one stays close. Well, when you say you when you said you want to start with the line, um, you got me excited because I thought we were going to talk in the trenches. <laughs> you went with the betting line, uh, you degenerate gambler, you. Uh, <laughs> but let's go with the line because obviously we talked about with the awards, some of those awards, how. F- uh, formidable both these teams are in the trenches and we go back to that matchup a couple names that we've already obviously talked about a little bit one in Silas Bear picking up two sacks in this game but uh, uh, for the western side of things I mean, we mentioned Bruce Moss having a half sack in this one they really seem and it's a team we talk about they they don't usually bring pressure they, they're usually just cool sitting in their defense and just knowing that their front four is getting get, get, going to get after them if memory serves they were dialing up some blitzes and getting after Keenan in this one. And I have all the love in the world for my former teammate and the offensive line coach at Queens right now in, in Matt Nesbitt. And no doubt that, you know, he's been doing nothing but reviewing that tape and reviewing every defensive play that Western has played since and figuring out how to make sure that Alex Vreekin or James Keenan, uh, has the cleanest of clean pockets, that Anthony Souls, that Yan Longa, that uh, you know whomever they're handing the ball off to in the backfield is not getting dirtied up before they're hitting four or five yards. Um, Tom, is it too reductive to say that this, I mean, all football is one loss in the trenches, as we all know here. Is it too reductive to bring this down to just the battle of the the the, the guys up up front, um, or is there something else in this in this matchup that you're looking for in terms of whether Queens has a shot, or do they not have a shot at all? Well, there's a few things that I'm that I'm interested in with with this game, and I'm happy that you brought up the line. It's we talked about it before, but I just want to highlight. Eight of the nine first-team OUA All-Stars are from Queens and from Western. And it's no shock that both of those teams are now in the Yates Cup. It's a direct correlation how well your line play is on the offensive and defensive side directly translates to how good your team is. And that in itself, the the All-Star selection, is an insane thought. I don't know the last time that something like that happened. It's always been, you know, something of a mix between, you know, there's a random person from Mac here or there's from somebody from Guelph or whatever else. And it's normally been a, a decent kind of mix. This is just two teams and Scott Murray. That's it on the <laughs> offensive and defensive lines. This is, this is crazy. Um, but the other thing that I'm really interested in is Greg Marshall as something of a kryptonite to Queens in general. In the past 20 years, the Golden Gales have been in the Yates Cup four times. Now, obviously in 2009, they win the Yates Cup, and that's arguably one of, if not the greatest team to ever be assembled for those Golden Gales, Danny Brannigan and all of those guys. They were lights out. They were amazing. But uh, 2021, Queens plays against Western, obviously, last year. 2013, Queens plays against Western. 2009, Queens plays against Western, and obviously they win that that matchup. 2002, Queens plays against McMaster with, who's the head coach? Greg Marshall. 
Greg Marshall has been on the other side of every single Yates Cup for the past 20 years that Queens has tried to win. He's gotten three of the four wins, but it really has been if Queens wants to go anywhere, if they want to win a Yates Cup, if they want to do anything, they have to get through not just Western, but Greg Marshall in particular. That's a heavy task and you know, probably one of the reasons why they had the coaching change that they did and bringing in Coach Snyder. Unfortunately, with the historical rivalry that you have, you need to beat Western on a consistent basis if you want success in the OUA. And if you can't get that done and they're your number one historic rival, changes have to be made. Yeah, you know, I'm going to go back really quickly to Ottawa and Queens in the semifinal last week. And once again, shouting out the whoever from the Queens production side sort of set it up as Hercules versus the Hydra in terms of just on the one hand, Simon Kinda versus this like slew of backs for um, the, the Golden Gales. And now when we look at not only having to take out obviously Greg Marshall and all the prowess he brings and, and, and Steve Snyder, of course, having a bit of that, you know, Western, you know, that, 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 that London football runs through his veins, obviously. Um, but now looking at it's, it's, a, it's the Hydra versus the Hydra in just having the stable of running backs. Uh, Nate, obviously you're thinking that, that, that Queens is has an opportunity or at least is being undervalued by the the betting population and perhaps just the general OUA watching population in a sense it's going to be looking like a cold day there might be a bit of might be a bit of precipitation um in the air whether that's you know rain or whether it turns to sleet or snow even with two dominant running teams like this um where do you see the advantage going in that regard, whether the factor the the weather factors in or or, or otherwise, as our meteorologist on 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 site? Uh, I was a geography major, Zach, so I'm glad that I don't know if you were checking the program before the episode, but I do appreciate that. Um, when, I think- when you had your 12.0 GPA, like like Alex uh, <laughs> Chung as well, right? Don't don't check the transcripts. Uh, <laughs> but no, I think I think like. Like it's look, it's hard for me to. I would be more curious to honestly hear what Tom says about the O lines. Uh, so maybe I'll pass it to him after. But I think in terms of like the running backs alone, I mean, obviously, I think it. You know, no disrespect to the guys on Queens, but you just you have two guys that would be the starter for any team in the country, basically, and you know that's shown in the, the All Star selections. You know what I mean? So, um, you know, two ten out of ten guys for Western and. You know, I, I am going to pass. I want to know what Tom thinks about these two O-lines because to me, like from, from my point of view, you know, it's, it's pretty close, right? Yeah. Tom, bef- Tom real quick, just, I need to, I need to feed you one extra thing to say on this. Um, I just want you to also, once again, it might be a cold day out there. How big, like how much are you and I going to freak out sitting in your home in Hamilton? If one of these teams leaves the locker room and their O-line are wearing sleeves. I need you to comment on that as well. You, th- there's no single detriment larger to an offensive line play than whether or not they are willing to wear <laughs> sleeves. It's I so can true. tell you in 2011, the McMaster offensive line went out east and we played against Acadia in Moncton. I think the day itself was minus 30 and there were no sleeves on that team. We came away with the win. We went to the Vanier and it was all because no sleeves. So no sleeves, O-line, no sleeves. It's an unwritten law. If you want to play O-line, you want to be successful, you don't wear sleeves. 
No, I think it is written into law. You will go to jail for that, I believe. Anyways, continue. <laughs> yeah, I think we've we've been building this game up essentially since game one. And after we saw, you know, initially we thought Guelph was going to be a part of that. And that quickly changed. We recognize that it's Queens and Western who are definitely the top tier in the OUA. And like Nate said, this has the makings to be a Golden State versus Cleveland team, two teams that are going to be battling out for at least a few years because of the young cores that they have and everything else. I think when you look at the offensive line play from both teams here, you have to look at how they're running the ball. Both teams, because of the influences from Western in both Tom Floxman and Coach Snyder, there are certainly callbacks to these Western Mustangs, and there's influences there because you can see the emphasis on pulling guards, on making sure that there's guys at the point of attack and trying to create some running room. Okay, now, good, because to me it looks the exact same. So. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's the Spider-Man meme of the two teams just pointing at you. Hey, Power Geo, okay, let's do it, okay. There was nothing ever that was as crazy to me than when Will Finch was running the ball for these Western Mustangs, and they had a pulling guard, a fullback, and the running back going to the hole where Will was supposed to go to try to give him blockers. They've since gotten away from trying to run the the quarterback, and I think um, that's probably for the best because they've got a stable of running backs at the very least. But you can see that Greg Marshall, if you watch him through the years – has very much not changed his running attack. It has always been the same. It's pulling guards. It's getting guys into the point of attack, and it's blocking and trying to create holes for his running backs, who are very good most of the time, who can make a guy miss, find a crease, and just hit it and run. This Queens offensive line has was dominant against a Laurier team, like I said, and I really wish that I, I was able to get out to more Queens games in person because – when I got a chance to watch them in person, and like I said, watch how I like to watch, you saw the entire Laurier defensive line move backwards five yards on a lot of plays. And guys like Yan Longa, Jared Katsari, they're phenomenal running backs, but they're not getting touched until 10 yards down the field. Anybody can be amazing with that. And then you have great backs like you do at with Queens. So it's very interesting to me to see the differences in that. If you're asking me to give a uh advantage either way i'm still going with western i think that crew has just been a force on the ground consistently running the ball and you know we talked about it a while ago but still the single most terrifying thing in the world is western doing hurry up offense running the ball with keon edwards and edward winati going back and forth and gaining like eight or nine yards on every single play that's terrifying and I think Western in the run game certainly has the advantage. I, I'm not sure. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I, I definitely agree. And, and and you mentioned the Laurier game. Like, let's just not also act like that's not an outstanding Laurier front seven as well. When you're talking about them getting put on roller skates, like that's tough. That's a that's those are some, they got you know they got dudes up there. Um, you know, obviously we've talked about some of the guys missing for Queens. Ethan Martin had a heck of a game against Western in that uh, in that matchup earlier this year. Uh, James Keenan pulling up the stats right now, you know, 10 for 18, 125. Um, and on the flip side of that, you know, Evan Hillock, 12 for 23 touchdowns, 190. I mean, just a, like maybe the, 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 the completion to attempts could be a little tighter, but that's like a pretty like, like, 
class. Like three, like make that fifteen for twenty and two, like two thirty on the yards. That is like an Evan Hillock day, you know. Um, but obviously James Keenan, Alex Vreekin. This has been um, the Vreekin show for the last however many weeks now, and we've seen some really high highs. We've seen. I don't want to say low lows, but some moments where it's like, yeah, he's showing his youth, right? Um, this part of me, though, that feels going back to the conversation about the run game in the trenches, everything like that, where it's like somewhat regardless of who's at the quarterback position, if Queens is going to win this, they need to be dominating in the trench and they have the ability to do so. But there's part of me that feels like I just, I don't know, it, it, it seems weird to think that like the quarterback position's almost a little secondary for them because I just feel like if they have to, whether it's Vreekin or if it's Keenan somehow making a return, if they're having to rely on them heavily, then we already know that either you're behind and you're having to try and play catch up or your run game's not going, in which case I don't see Queens winning this game. Nate, does that seem like a decent assessment on this or am I just being foolish and thinking that the QB doesn't really matter as much as I'm making it out to be in this game? No, I think it's completely fair and like, um, you know, we talk. I remember us going through this game last year and our our big our big recipe we came up with for Queens to win. And I was, you know, getting up early and yada yada. And, you know, I do think this Queens team is much, is better from last year. I mean, I think you can look at kind of in terms of it being Western and then the rest of the pack. Now I think it's Western and then Queens and then the rest of the pack because Queens is as much as they beat teams last year. They it wasn't necessarily in thrilling fashion. Whereas you know this year you you can see like a couple multiple score victories they're pulling away from teams now which is which is more western-esque um but i think in a game like this in november football and it comes down to the wind and you know possible rain sleet snow you're absolutely right and and, you know it's going to have to do with the running backs and the running game but it it also has to do with defense and turnovers um in particular in the quarterback position in this game you know for varican i think that the first and foremost is you can't turn the ball over um, and you have to keep the team in a manageable situation and the coaches have to keep him in a manageable situation, you know? And I think I said in last week's pod, having Richard Burton is huge for this offense. He wasn't there in the game last year. Um, you know, he's a first team OUA all-star. I don't know if you saw, um, you know, I was a guy throwing him balls back in 2018, but he's a stud and he makes a big difference when you're looking at, you know, second and five plus, and you know you have a guy that you absolutely can rely on that's been doing it for five years, it makes a tremendous amount of difference for for a young quarterback in particular. You know what I mean? To have a guy that's going to go up and make plays. And, you know, looking at this quarterback matchup in particular, and again, in games like this where weather's a factor, it's not necessarily who's going to be, you know, 17 for 20 for whatever, but, you know, it's going to come down to who's going to scramble for the first down. Who's going to, you know, get out of the, just get out of the sack and throw it away one time and secure field goal range. You know what I mean? So as much as we want to look at quarterbacks to make big plays and you will absolutely have your time to make the one, the two big plays that will decide the game. Um, it's going to come down to a lot of managing the game appropriately. And, and, you know, Western's Western and, and, and for them, you know, they've shown the ability to overcome that a couple of times. You look at last week, the pick six, uh, you know, Queen's able to overcome that with a pick six the week prior in the wild card round. But I think, you know, in this game, if you're Queens, you absolutely cannot get on the back foot because you know what? They're down two touchdowns in last year's game. And let's be honest, this team is not really built to come from behind, you know, looking at Western. I mean, just looking at how they play, you would think they're not really built for to come from behind. They run the ball, but 
just doesn't matter. They can do it. <laughs> so, if you're Queens, you got it. You really game management is going to have to be on a whole nother level. So, you know, I'm sure Coach Snyder and those guys will be dialed into that. Yeah, I think that's huge because, you know, we talk about how uh, a number of teams have been able to keep it close with Western in the first half. And you don't have to go any further than last week against Laurier, where they have that pick six and they're, you know, using the wind effectively and they're doing just that. But you come out in the third quarter, we talked about it, where you have three turnovers in a row. And before you can even say Wilfred Laurier, Golden Hawks, the game is over. And you know what? Even your turnovers aside, it's even when you get the ball in the two yard line, you know what I mean? And you could get a few first downs and maybe you punt it from the 30, but that saving that two points in that field position, that that can be the game um, in a lot of cases when it comes down to this time of the year. Tom, Nate has staked his claim with his Golden Gales in this. Uh, it is time for you and I to make our picks. I'll also give you last word on anything we have yet to cover for this one, but where are you aligned in this Yates Cup in the year 2022? I think before I get into the pick, just going back to that Western Queens game is a in the regular season this past year, just to be clear uh, that game is a perfect snap of what the Western offense is going to do. One touchdown in the first quarter, two touchdowns in the second quarter, one touchdown in the third quarter, one touchdown in the fourth quarter, they are going to score. They're going to do it uh, consistently. And I think that kind of a line, even if Queens had put up 28 points in the first quarter, that would still be the line because that's just how Western goes. That's how they play. And they're just going to score. They're going to go down. It's going to be long drives and they're going to score. And I know you already brought it up, but I want to highlight it again. When you're so close to the end zone and it's third down, go for the touchdown. That, t- that time there, it was 21 to seven for, for Western. He kicked the field goal. It's 21 to 10 and then bang, 28 to 10 and you're out of the game. If it's 21 to 14 and it's 28, 14, sure. It's a big, it's a big gap, but it's manageable. You could potentially do it. You need to get aggressive. You need to take shots. That being said, after everything, when realistically, when I take a look at the major kind of uh, plays here, who has the better offense, who has the better defense skill positions and things, the majority of those advantages, in my opinion, go to the ponies. And I think with their experience, at the very least, almost all of these guys, except for the rookies, just went to a Vanier Cup last year. They're favored to go to another one that's in London. They have that experience. They've got the, the coach of the year in Greg Marshall. This is going to be another Western win. I think Queens is going to put up more of a fight than what people are saying. I think what was the, the the line, Nate? Like 25 and a half points? That's insane. They're definitely going to do better than that, I think. But it's going to be Western. It sounds well, like there's with- a lot of pressure on them, too, though. <laughs> <laughs> it's just another game for the Western Mustangs, and it's just going to be another W for the Ponies. I'm with you on that one, Tom. Nate, any last words uh, to in, to defend the honor of your Golden Gales before we let the chips fall where they may and we crown a winner in the uh, OUA season? You know, Zach, I, I had five years to defend the honor of the Queens Gales, and uh, I won a playoff game. So if these guys got a better <laughs> shot than me, I'll leave it up to them on the weekend. Well, 
I see no better way to wrap it up than on that note. Uh, of course, if you are going to be in attendance, uh, we have our boy Nate Hobbs live and direct. He's going to be there. Um, me and Tom will be uh, having a gas in the Hamilton region watching it. And uh, and yeah, you know, we we made it. We made it. We you know, let's it's let's not forget. You know, as great as it was to to have the OUA figure out the 2021 season in the wake of, of the lost COVID season, we were back to. Uh, a fully functional OUA season as we know it. Of course, there were slight changes here and there. The o- the playoff format altered a little bit, and I think for the better, given once again, as we mentioned, how much darn talent there is in this league. So whether you're live at the game, um, uh, saying what up to Nate, whether you're watching from home, friends and family, doing whatever you can, enjoy your Yates Cup Saturday afternoon. And we'll be talking to you Monday about our Ontario champion at the 55.